0: Hi and welcome, buckle up for a new episode of Beyond the Green Line, the only podcast hooking you up for a virtual coffee date with some of the leading change makers, industry experts and everyday activists in environmental and agricultural sciences. So pop in your headphones, go for a walk and get ready for inspiration, ideas, insights and real life stories beyond the green line we balance along. Crawford is a country girl from Gunnedah, a mining and agricultural town in northwest New South Wales, where Penny has been the local podiatrist for many years, until the niggling problem of sore feet, experienced by many of her clients who worked in mining, gave Penny the shove she needed to go full tilt into her boot business to solve her client's aching feet problem. Penny launched Crawford Boots, had some fantastically big wins, some supply chain issues and is now partnering with the University of New South Wales Sustainable Research and Technology Centre in Australia in a circular economy inspired rubber recycling project using Crawford boots. My guest today is Penny Crawford, a podiatrist, entrepreneur and winner of Business New South Wales Outstanding Business Leader and Business of the Year 2021. Hi, Penny. How are you going? I'm well, Chanel. What about you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Great for a Friday.
1: If not it's Friday. Yes, yes.
0: (laughs) So let's have a chat about well Crawford Boots, but I've also just noticed that you've got a different name as well, Terra Boots. So I hope I'm using the right business name.
1: Well, Terra Boots, Proprietary Limited, is my company, so we trade as Crawford Boots.
0: Oh, okay. That that clears that up for me. Mm -hmm. So during your time as a podiatrist, you must have seen some very unhappy feet. What was the most common injuries or issues related to poor fitting work boots that gave you the push that you ultimately needed with Crawford boots?
1: Look, working as a podiatrist for 30 years, I did see feet of many shapes and sizes with all sorts of problems. The majority of the problems I treated were as a direct result of ill-fitting footwear. This is the typical scenario of people trying to well, people actually not really knowing what size foot they have to start with, so wearing the wrong size. But what led me to my journey with corset boots was seeing a lot of my patients' will we were minors coming in with a multitude of problems. They were problems just related in the short-term injuries, whether they were nail problems, whether they were rash issues, whether they were then longer-term injuries that resulted from poorly-fitting footwear, such as heel pain plantar fasciitis, clawing at the digits, calf, hamstring, lower back issues, because you feed your feet leave foundations. And like your house foundations, if there's an issue, you'll find there'll be problems higher up.
0: Yeah, that's a really great analogy and one that I've definitely experienced in my life. So yeah, definitely uh, I'm more cognizant of what, what shoes I put on my feet these days. Absolutely. So You could see a big problem in the industry, I guess, mining in particular, but it's not restricted to mining. I guess lots of different industries where they wear work boots or gum boots would have similar issues, but you actually decided to do something about it. So what was the, I guess, the ultimate catalyst for starting the R&D for Crawford Boots?
1: The ultimate catalyst was seeing this continual stream of people coming in. And I actually formed quite a good relationship with the health and safety officer out at Whitehaven Mining, and he rang and said, look, we're having lots of issues with guys with their feet. Is it an orthotic issue or a biomechanical issue, or is it a footwear issue? So seeing these people, I'd put them into leather boots because the leather boots gave those workers who were underground in, you know, dark, hard conditions, up to sort of half a metre of water, walking up to 12 kilometres a day. I'd put them into the leather boots so that would give them that stability. And they'd come back a couple of weeks later and the boots were disintegrated because they weren't waterproof. So I'm like, well, can't believe you're still wearing gumboots, which has seen no innovation in 150 years. If you think of our jogger, you've got a Dunlop volley and what we have now, there's been no sort of that sort of evolution with the gumboot. So I thought, okay, how do we make a boot that fits Provides that support and that stability and is comfortable. That's like a leather boot, but it's waterproof, it's like a gum boot. And that's how my journey started. And working with these miners and working with the industry, you know, you see a problem and you just find that solution. And it's great having that that feedback from the wearers. So I knew exactly what their issues were. I went underground with them, saw their conditions. Thirty years of podiatry, understood how the foot. The lower leg's meant to function efficiently. So that started to evolve.
0: Hmm. I, I find it very impressive that you decided to take on this this problem and actually create a solution. It's, it sounds like an enormous endeavour, um, especially with all the, I guess, supply chain issues that we've been having in the last sort of 12 months. So definitely well done you for um, for deciding to solve that problem. That's fantastic.
1: It's interesting. When I started this in 2013, and eventually sort of decided this wasn't going to be a side hustle it was going to be what I was going to do that was probably in 2018 and i sort of really started sort of pushing and selling i'd known now what how long the journey would have been oh my goodness i would have still done it but yeah there's been a lot of a lot of roadblocks and you know coming to understand coming from a podiatry background to then having to design and develop and deal with overseas manufacturers then having to deal with supply chain issues and understanding that the geopolitical influences, the dollar, the there's, yeah, so many things that are out of your control. It's been a huge learning curve.
0: Mm. And you, I'm assuming you have to deal a lot with international factories and other, uh, I don't know, components, um, bits and pieces for the Brits. Is that true?
1: Yeah, no, no. It, it involved a lot of research because... I was building a boot that was a safety boot. Safety was my main focus, so I needed a reputable factory that would deliver in terms of those safety certifications and specifications. Yep. So that took quite a few overseas trips. I also realised that my factory was fantastic at manufacturing boots, but not so good at manufacturing the inserts, which are the patented or the innovative part of that boot. The inserts basically act like the tongue and a lace does, in your lace-up boot. So it pushes the foot towards or the heel towards the back of the boots and therefore stops that heel from slipping up and down every time you take a step. So my factory could do the rubber components of the boots but couldn't do the EVA sort of foam component of the inserts, which meant we had to go searching for another factory. So I have a factory in Malaysia and a factory as well in Taiwan. So it's, it's managing different MOQs from both factories and making sure the inserts are completed and sent to the factory in Malaysia where the boots are assembled and built and then sent out to me.
0: Yeah, definitely a lot of organisation going, yes. going on there, Penny. How have you fared throughout COVID then with all of the delays with international shipping and the huge delays at the ports as well?
1: Oh look, it's been crazy. When COVID hit my whole business model was based on I would go to site, I would talk to the health and safety advocates at each site, and they were always trying to, they value their workforce. So they were looking at innovation, looking at things that could help them change their workforce, and ankle injuries, uh, et cetera, are a big component of a, you know, a mine where you are on unstable ground all the time. That's just part and parcel of, of the life of the mining industry. So with COVID, I couldn't, I couldn't go and visit sites. I couldn't do that. So that was one thing that was at first my big roadblock, but then that triple effect and not realizing how it's going to affect my supply chains, you know, with different factories shutting down, with COVID hitting those factories in different countries that are not as fortunate as us with their health system. And then you've got on top of that, the shipping issue. So for an example, my lead time for my boots would often be about the three months. Last year, it was a 12-month lead time. 12 months. Blew out that far. And three months of that was the shipping issues, just not having the ships to bring the containers across or you'd get them and there's such a a problem at the port and they wouldn't be unloaded, there'd be congestion, so they'd go elsewhere. Again, a lot out of your control. And for someone like me who's quite a small-time operator, You're at the bottom of the food chain, really, in terms of um, (laughs) getting a container on a boat. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, at the whim of all the big players and the
1: shipping companies, I guess. Yeah, and it's very much like, you know, you're dealing with an agent, you know, maybe in Malaysia and your container's due to go on the ship on day X, but it's been bumped off for another three weeks. It's very much out of your control. Um, But, you know, hopefully... It's It's been a good thing because it's made me learn that we could no longer rely on the fact that you can just source inventory quite quickly. You now have to hold inventory. And there's, you know, a big advantage in that, which is also difficult if you're a new business starting out, because as you know, if you're holding a lot of inventory and you're not selling it, that's a lot of cash you're leaving on the table. So I was very fortunate that my business had, you know, the boots were getting traction, excuse the pun, prior to COVID. So it meant that... I already had those runs on the board, I already had some established and repeat customers, meaning that I could invest and say, okay, I'm gonna to have to invest heavily and have this hold this inventory because I know it's gonna sell.
0: Yeah, and I guess the there would have been a lot of different industries out there having major issues with the just-in-time ordering systems that I guess have been a bit of a staple of a lot of our products for many, many years. So it, it's it's a big leap then, as you said, to go and actually hold onto stock and inventory. But when you've got those great relationships with your customers, and you've worked on those for many many years, I guess that's the that's the gem, isn't it? That's that's where the value lies.
1: Oh, that's the key. You know, your relationships you have with your customers, and that's it's a, the beauty of my business is that it's my voo that I have developed and designed. So I've, I I want to see it work. I want to see it add value and. That's part of what I do. I love going to a site. I love doing toolbox talks, talking to all the guys and all the girls, the miners there, making sure that the boots are continuing to deliver value, not only in terms of risk management, but longevity. And now we looking at the sustainability project, especially the fact that they're going to be part of the circular economy, which is. To me, particularly exciting. I was very mindful about what product or what material I was going to use when I designed the boots. I did not want to use PVC. I wanted to use rubber. And there was always that thought that they could then be part of that sort of circular economy.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about that because that is such a cool project. So you're currently partnering with University of New South Wales and Veena Sahawala, the Director of the Sustainable Materials Research and Technology Centre there. And it's repurposing, isn't it? The, the the rubber from the boots, as you said. So can you tell me more about this project and I guess what it means to Crawford Boots?
1: Happy to tell you about it. It really just sort of started with the whole COVID and thinking about my overseas supply chains, would I be able to manufacture in Australia? I mean, one thing about COVID is that it made us all think about our businesses and do is it really cost-effective? Is it the best option to be manufacturing overseas? Could we bring manufacturing back to Australia? That sort of thought process led me down the path of joining the AMGC, which is the Advanced Manufacturing Growth Centre. And from there I developed relationships with Michael Sharp, who is the director there, and led me to meeting Vina because I should actually call her Professor Sahajwala, because she is such an esteemed, amazing woman. I met her was the thought of, could my materials I use in my boot come from recycled material? Does it have to be rubber? Is there some way we can replicate rubber using recycled or repurposed materials? So they kindly tested my boots at the um, UNSW Smart Centre. And they found that when my boots were broken down, they delivered high levels of hydrogen and carbon. And these are two essential elements that were required in this green steel process. So it was very fortuitous that I had that relationship. I am a very small component or part of this pilot project, but very excited still to be involved. So it's between the New South Wales University Smart Centre. It's also partnering with Molly Steel, which is in Newcastle. And it's about using rubber polymers and tyres, obviously, are a big part of that. The course of boots are also a part. So it means at the end, their end of life, they can then be repurposed in this green steel process.
0: And do you know yet what they are going to be repurposed into um, or maybe a, a variety of different
1: things? Yeah, we're making steel.
0: Making steel. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, so what sorts of, of steel? Um, so is this to replace uh, house steel?
1: I can't, look, to be honest with you, I can't tell you that. We're still in the research phase and we should hopefully be moving into the actual production phase in the later part of this year. What I really understand about it is the steel making process uses coal and they'll be still using coal. There's still always going to be that need to that, but it will be, instead of having 100% coal, it will be a percentage of coal and a percentage of rubber polymers to produce a green steel as such.
0: Mm. So, what sort of bulk of Crawford boots are, are being put to this purpose?
1: Well, I love 100% percent of the Crawford boots who put to this purpose, but it also depends on what we're doing is we're just engaging a few partners, which are a few mines that I'm working with. And also it looks like John Holland will come on as well as uh, a possible industry partner. and so the boots that are used at those sites we will be having receptacles hopefully there, and they'll either then be shredded. On site, or be sent to mollycop for shredding and, and then use in the screen steel production, along with tyres and lots of other essential components.
0: Yeah, okay. So, how much of a, uh, I guess, how many years do you expect for a person wearing Crawford boots to get out of the boots and before they then go and get a, a new set?
1: Well, look, it's a hard one because the boots last far longer than any gum boots and they'll last far longer than any leather boots in that underground mining industry, especially when, you know, you're in harsh conditions. So every every mine, what I'm learning is entirely different. Like some have got different leechets, some have got different chemicals, some have got concrete. You know, there's lots of different components which will wear down any boot. But basically quartz of boots are outlasting these other boots, sometimes five times longer, sometimes a couple, you know, two to three times lambda.
0: Hmm. So I guess we're talking, even with the ties and everything, we are still talking small quantities as pilot programs at the moment. Is that right?
1: Very small quantities. Yeah.
0: So does that mean that is UNSW Smart Centre, I guess, tying this back into their microfactory technologies for the for the initial phases, or is it all being done at the steel factories?
1: Well, I think the microfactories play a very important part in it. And I think that's the development of those microfactories. And when you do that, you're learning more about waste, what the capacity is for waste, how do we repurpose waste. Veena is just an amazing person to talk to about that. If you want to know more, I'm more than happy that you do an introduction and she could be a great person to have on your podcast.
0: Yeah, definitely. So you mentioned that you're now partnering with John Holland, for collection of, of boots on some of their sites as well. I'm interested to find out if you've had any discussions with them around becoming part of their credit system for infrastructure, sustainability credits, or the programs that they, they run to actually get their ratings through ISC.
1: To be honest, I'm not 100% sure about that. And it was probably presumptive of me to say the John Holland because I actually have just started... Trial in the boots there, and they're looking at making them a boot of choice there. But also, I imagine the the fact that Crawford Boots is involved with this pilot project is also particularly attractive because they're very passionate about the sustainability, and I think they're excited that something like this is actually going to happen. You know how there's so many sustainability product projects which have got such a great initiative and goals, that sometimes don't ever get across the line this is something that's actually, you know, it's a government funded pilot project and it's going to happen. So I imagine that would play very much into what they're thinking about for their future sustainability.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. It's very, very exciting. So throughout this process, I guess, uh, I'm guessing that you've learned an awful lot about a circular economy and repurposing materials and textiles through your involvement with the Smart Centre, as well as what you've been doing with this pilot project of Crawford Boots. So can you tell me if there's been anything that you've learned along the way, which
1: has been really exciting or something brand new for you? In terms of the sustainability, like just visiting the UNSW Smart Centre and seeing the capacity and seeing that passion that they all have there, everything you know, it's, it's really interesting, like the chip packet, your batteries, everything can be used and it's not going to necessarily be repurposed into another battery or another chip packet, but they all have elements that can be used for other purposes. One example is Venus, the ceramic tiles that they're, they're using in a lot of projects that have been developed from recycled glass and recycled material fabric. So it seems like it's a it's a facility that is very much it's it's looking about the future, it's looking into the sustainability of, of all of things that we consider waste and how can that be repurposed? And it's pretty exciting when you Look at the ceramic tile that they're producing, or the green steel that they produce. They're looking to produce,
0: yeah, and some of the other repurposed uh, textiles you said, like fabrics from clothing. I did hear Vina talk about one of the microfactory projects where they're collecting old school and sporting club uniforms and turning those into furniture.
1: Yeah, at the Hunter Hill, um, Hunter Hill Library.
0: Yeah, and that's a very exciting project because textiles create. Such a huge waste stream for us here in Australia, but I guess around the world as well. So it's it's great to be able to, I guess, to reuse a, a portion of that and hopefully it will end up being more mainstream um, through this research.
1: Oh, absolutely. Like um, it was really fascinating because I did go to that talk with Veena and they were talking about how they have used the school uniforms and the kids could actually go, at, go to the library and see almost flecks of their, that was their repurposed um, sports uniforms. And I know in conversations I've had with different suppliers and different customers, they've talked about the PPE, they've talked about the hard hats, they've talked about the glasses, they've talked about the incredible amount of waste, not only plastic bottles, et cetera, but can it be repurposed? What sort of vo- and I think it's understanding the volumes, it's understanding is there a microfactory that can deal with those volumes, what it will produce at the end, because you don't want to obviously be using these microfactories for things that can't be repurposed into something else so there's still a lot of research I think and that's a very long process to understand what is essentially in all these waste streams what the volumes are and what they can be used for in their second life
0: yeah and I guess identifying what's going to be useful because as you said we don't really want to be using up any energy of any form to be repurposing into something that's not useful I, unless I guess it's for a research component yeah. to the project,
1: yeah. And the nasties, you know, because a lot of things do have, you know, they might break down into a couple of great components, but if those hidden nasties can sort of counter, you know, act against that, I mean, as I said, I'm so not an expert at this, but you want to know more. Like it's it's quite exciting.
0: Yeah, yeah. And we've been talking to a couple of our guests actually about plastics, microplastics, and I guess the nasties that you, you, you've called them, some of the glues or the other polymers that go into actually the adhesives um, to pull the, the plastics together and, and make them stick, basically. Getting those out of the plastic uh, and repurposing those or using those for as an energy source is Part of this research, um, I'd say, and that's that's very exciting because they do create a large scale environmental problem as they break out of the the plastics for those different you know, chemicals. So that's very exciting. But I did I just want to touch back on the, the the uniforms because when I heard Vina talk about the school uniforms and the sporting uniforms, I was a little light bulb went on and I thought, ah, oh, this would be fantastic for my kid's school because they've just gone through a whole new uniform rework redesign a redesign of their entire school uniform and obviously there's going to be a lot of waste from the old uniforms as people have to switch over to the new colors and the, the new designs and it's things like this where it's not just your normal waste stream you've actually got a bulk coming through that could potentially end up you know being put towards research like this into in the future. so it was it was very exciting to hear that there was possibly something that could be done.
1: But it's interesting how we start thinking about it because I really believe that I'm part of the throwaway generation. You know, it's, it's very like, oh, yes, we're changing school uniforms, throw out the other one. Or, uh, yeah, so it, it's really interesting to move your thought process away from that. And what is the potential? Like, you know, because it's just, it's, it's just this generation that we're in, like, oh, yeah, we'll just change the uniforms and we'll just change that and we'll get rid of this and throw that out. And if it can be, you know, repurposed. Well, that's fabulous, but also going back to what you were talking about, understanding what the nasties are in plastics, et cetera, we still have a long way to go, don't we? Like that sort of research takes a lot of time. So whilst we're looking at this, and it's exciting, we're looking at changing our pattern of behaviour, but also it's going to take a long time to get there, isn't it?
0: Yes. Hmm. Yes, yeah, so, but research projects like this and your involvement through Crawford Boots are getting us there bit by bit, which is which is, you know, I guess the way that it needs to be. We do need to be progressing. Yeah. So, Penny, congratulations on your recent Business New South Wales wins and the partnership with UNSW. Your drive to improve people's quality of life at work whilst tackling a waste stream issue is very inspiring and it's been really wonderful chatting with you today and I wish you all the best with the growth of, Craw- of Crawford Boots, especially now as we're, we're coming out of COVID, full steam ahead. So thank you very much for your time
1: today. Oh, thank you, Chanel. I haven't even asked you about your business. but (laughs) No, thanks so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I look forward to actually seeing you in person soon.
0: Yes, definitely. I'm sure we'll catch up soon. Join us for our next episode for more inspirational stories, actionable tips and unleashing the eco-warrior inside you. Until next time. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to our podcast and head over to our socials to explore a little more about us. I'm Chanel Gleason-Willie and I've been your host today on the podcast Beyond the Green Line. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Green Line brought to you by Moss Environmental. Subscribe to our podcast for your weekly invitation to join the conversation. Until next time, keep thinking green.